situation. He took a pitch in the back. He got beamed for crying out loud. We used heart attack. Managers on a major league baseball team don't make decisions. Credibility in this situation is worse than losing your job. Was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? The castration of the major league baseball managers. We know it. Ask me about my Two teams in the National Football League made what they believe are transcending decisions when it comes to their coaching position. And my belief all along is that the National Football League is the sport most influenced by its coach. You've heard me speak as, as uh, the coach applies to basketball and hockey and how interchangeable they are and how much of a fall guy the coach happens to be. If things don't go well, it's a lifeline. You get to can your coach and stick up for your players while they are the ones that really aren't getting the job done. In baseball, you obviously know that I've spoken about it to nauseam about how analytics and um, the emphasis on algorithms and stuff like that have taken away the power of the Major League Baseball manager, but I still believe in the coach in the National Football League. But I think the belief in a coach is going to be put to a test when we talk about D'Amico Ryans and Sean Payton. And it's going to be meant as no disrespect to either one of them. Payton, of course, 16-year NFL head coach and Super Bowl champion with the New Orleans Saints. It looks like now he just clearly wanted to get a different start with a different organization, kind of like Bill Parcells. He just wants a, a different type of challenge. And D'Amico Ryans, one of the more sought-after um, Defensive coordinators in the National Football League, uh, you're watching him as a leader. You've seen him as a player for 11 years where he was, he was known as a very important locker room presence, kind of a lead-by-example type of dude. Uh, great job with the San Francisco 49ers, best defense in the National Football League over the last three seasons. And everything you hear about D'Amico Ryans is positive. As you, you want, you, you're, you're hearing this guy speak and you want to go play for him and he's the perfect fit for a beleaguered organization and I don't want to say disgraced because you know that's putting it down on one person um, Deshaun Watson is not to speak or have his actions and everything that he went through a representation of the entire Houston Texans organization but Nick Cassero has been over there as the general manager for the last couple of years and has fumbled around with some things. He's made some interesting coaching hires over the last couple seasons. I believe that David Culley deserved a shot to be an NFL head coach. I didn't believe that he should have been fired after one season. Lovey Smith, uh, you look at Lovey Smith and how long it's been since he had been a coach, a head coach in the National Football League. And it was an interesting hire. It almost seemed like the Houston Texans, they wanted to hire Josh McCown, were pressured by the fact that they just fired a black head coach and there was no black head coaches or very few in the National Football League. And they wanted to hire Brian Flores, but then the owner probably said, no, don't hire Brian Flores because he's suing the league. So they were had a short list. Hey, we got to hire black. And they went out there and hired Lovey Smith because of it. They gave him one year. And obviously that's not enough to turn a football program around. And you believe with the hiring of D'Amico Ryans, signing him to a six-year deal, but also the fact that the guy is 38 years old. He's very 
Um, very much a head coach material type of dude. Uh, you figure he's going to get more than a year, and you hope he does. And obviously it would be a major disgrace and embarrassment to the sport if the Houston Texans were not able to pull that off and give D'Amico Ryans multiple years to get things going in Houston. And you think about what they have going for them. they got two top draft picks, two first-round draft picks in each of the next two drafts. They have a ton of cap space. They should be able, in short order, to be able to put a competitive team on the field. And like I said, it's very deserving for a man who I think deserves to be a head coach in the National Football League for a long time. And uh, the general manager, like I said, he's done a bad job there. But he's going to get another lifeline. He's going to get another chance, multiple years, to really turn this team around. And you don't see that happen too much in the National Football League. And when it comes to Sean Payton, I think it's so interesting to think of the optics when it comes to Russell Wilson going there. Nathaniel Hackett, all right, you could blame, say, hey, maybe he wasn't head coach material. Maybe he wasn't ready yet. He's going to have a chance to kind of re, uh, rebuild his resume a little bit as an offensive coordinator with the Jets. But Sean Payton going there, is he going to be expected, and he probably will be, to do things that Nathaniel Hackett couldn't do as the coach. And he takes over a team with Russell Wilson that we have to keep mentioning because I think there's a lot of people out there still trying to stick up for Russ. Russ is a very likable dude. Uh, I, I like Russ. I think he's been a great quarterback. He's uh, on his way to the Hall of Fame. He's a great ambassador for the sport. I love hearing him speak. But he had a bad year last year. He's going to be the first one to acknowledge that he had a bad season with the Broncos last year. And he does have a certain role in the struggles that the Broncos had last year. Sean Payton comes in. Of course, he's an offensive legend. He knows what he's doing. He's had all that success all those years with Drew Brees, with the New Orleans Saints winning a Super Bowl. Is he automatically going to be able to uh, flick the switch and all of a sudden get more from Russell Wilson than he was able to show last year? I don't know. I, I think that's a lot to ask for. But does show the power of the coach because the belief is there that Sean Payton could just go right in there and fix this. Got to acknowledge that the Broncos were a bad football team last year. They didn't move the ball well on offense. Their defense was pressured a lot into being on the field a lot longer than it needed to be. And you just think a coaching change is going to change things. They're going to have to change some personnel around. And I don't know, you know what this means in regards to Russell Wilson. Are they going to get some better offensive linemen? Are they going to upgrade maybe um, at the running back position? Are they going to switch the offense around to a point where it's uh, more centered around Russell Wilson's strengths? You know, we'll see. But it gives me a perfect segue because you think about Russell Wilson and the season that he had last year and the team that he left when he was traded from the Seattle Seahawks, their success with his backup, Geno Smith. And if you go back to 2016, there was a very controversial decision made in the National Football League that Giants fans, and I do knock these Giants fans that overstressed the significance of this, but I look at the I look at it in two different ways. The decision was made by Jerry Reese and Ben McAdoo to end Eli Manning's consecutive games played streak. And if you look at it in a way that, I don't know, perhaps baseball fans look at Cal Ripken's streak and when he passed Lou Gehrig, that Cal Ripken at some point 
had had and made the decision that he was going to end the streak on his own, that perhaps Eli Manning was um, given or should have been given the same opportunity. I don't know. That's a different discussion. And I'm willing to concede some points when it comes to that. But, you know, you look at six years later, Geno Smith having the highest completion percentage in the National Football League, um, throws 30 touchdowns, is probably considered within the top eight or top ten quarterbacks based off of performance last year in the entire National Football League. The decision to bench Eli Manning and start Geno Smith by the New York Football Giants is nowhere near as asinine as it seemed at the time. Now, is this just a coincidence? Did Geno Smith happen to be there? And the Giants not thinking anything of him? Yeah, we're going to end Eli's streak and we're going to put whoever we have in here, so it might as well be Geno Smith. And all of a sudden, he became something the Giants never thought he would be? Listen, you, you could believe that. But what if, and I repeat, what if Ben McAdoo saw in Geno Smith what Pete Carroll saw in Geno Smith over this past season? What if a Ben McAdoo-Jerry Reese tandem with the New York Giants would have included Geno Smith as a starting quarterback of the New York Football Giants in 2017 and beyond? Did the Giants go 5-11 and in a rebuilding season with Eli Manning? Do they throw away another season after they signed, they drafted Daniel Jones and handed the ball from Eli Manning to Daniel Jones? Would the Giants have had playoff seasons in 17, 18, and 19 with Geno Smith? I don't think this has been spoken about. Like I said, the consecutive start streak is something that's different. We could have that discussion a different day, and I'm willing to concede a lot of points there. Did the Giants believe something in Geno Smith that only Pete Carroll seems all these years later believed with the Seattle Seahawks? Because Geno Smith is the Giants' quarterback now. Perhaps Daniel Jones never gets drafted. Perhaps there's different players that are taking over the course of the draft to help them more immediately. And maybe the Giants are a playoff team more often than you know just this one season in the last, whatever, seven years. That has taken since they've been in the postseason. Now, today's the first day of February. Uh, we're going to jump right into this day in sports history. Uh, Jim Thorpe was signed by the New York Giants in 1913 on this day. The uh, Olympic gold medalist and obviously one of the best athletes in the history of sports. Uh, ended up having a baseball career with the Giants. He never really got going. You know, John McGraw was a big fan, obviously, of his athletic ability, and they could never really get it to work with the Giants. He didn't have anywhere near as good of a career playing baseball as he did uh, as an Olympic athlete. 1950, Curly Lambeau resigns after 31 seasons as the head football coach of the Green Bay Packers. And the reason that this is significant is you're talking about one of the best football coaches in the history of the sport. Uh, we... I, I talk about Paul Brown. I talk about, of course, Bill Belichick and Vince Lombardi and Don Shula and George Hallis. Curly Lambeau gets as little respect as anybody when it comes to being one of the greatest football head coaches of all time. And you know, in 31 years, he won six NFL championships. And I want to throw out there and say a big screw you to all you football fans that don't believe that the National Football League existed prior to 1967. Because it did. And Curly Lambeau was a big force 
in the National Football League, getting the Green Bay Packers uh, relevant. By the way, a, a little team in a little city that somehow lucked into getting a football team, you know, all these years ago, ended up becoming a national institution because of the success of Curly Lambeau as the head coach. And by the way, it's named Lambeau Field for a reason. 1959, Zach Wheat is um, elected into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Uh, 317 hitter, a dominant offensive position player in the 1910s and 20s with the Brooklyn Dodgers. Uh, played in two World Series. Uh, very underrated, I think, you know, for a guy that wasn't a big power guy but had some power. Kind of got overlooked for a little while. Got his due in 1959. Speaking of getting their due, Monty Irvin on this day in 1973 elected into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Um, one of the one of the best moments that I've had on this show was being able to do an interview with Monty Irvin before he passed. Obviously, uh, you know, longtime Newark Eagles star, and you know, very integral to the New York Giants in the 1950s, winning the World Series championship, of course, in 1954, and their pennant in 1951, 1992. I bring this up because of its, its number one, it's ironic, but also number two, it mentions one of my favorite players in the history of baseball and a guy that does deserve an opportunity to be in the Baseball Hall of Fame, and that's Barry Bonds. Barry Bonds in 1992 on February 1st agreed to a one-year deal with the Pittsburgh Pirates. At the time, was a record for the highest contract for a single season in baseball history, and that's four point seven million. And how you look at it all these years later, 2023, 4.7 million, if you're lucky, gets you a sixth or seventh inning reliever, gets you maybe a utility player that isn't going to play every day, a platoon type of player that could play multiple positions. That's what 4.7 million gets you now. At the time, Barry Bonds, that was a record in Major League Baseball had never been done before. 1995, John Stockton set the record all-time for most assist in NBA history when he got his 9,222nd passing Magic Johnson for the all-time mark. Uh, John Stockton, a, a dominant player, obviously a great wingman for Carl Malone, but a, a Hall of Fame player in his own right. A couple Super Bowls, Super Bowl 38 on this day in, uh, uh, what, what were we talking about, 2003, I think. Or 2002, the New England Patriots beat the Carolina Panthers 32-29. to um, A game that I thought the Panthers were going to win. Uh, field goal, obviously, by Adam Vinatieri late. Ends up winning a game for the Patriots. Their second Super Bowl at the time. 2009, Super Bowl 40-43. The Pittsburgh Steelers beat the Arizona Cardinals 27-23. 2015, Super Bowl 49. You have the Patriots. 28, and the Seattle Seahawks, 24. Russell Wilson, the before-mentioned, marching the Seahawks down the field. Looks like they're going to score. Somebody makes a play call for a quick slant, gets intercepted by Malcolm Butler, and many people for years and years later are wondering why the ball wasn't in Marshawn Lynch's hands. Um, birthdays today, Con Smythe. And I don't think he gets spoken about enough for his significance in a uh, great history of the National Hockey League. He would have turned 128 today. 
the owner of the Toronto Maple Leafs, seven-time Stanley Cup champion, uh, one of the uh, the integral parts of the history of the National Hockey League, and Ronda Rousey, uh, former UFC fighter and uh, WWE fighter, turns 36 today. This is the Passball Show, brought to you by JohnPielli.com, by St. Aloysius Church in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck, located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Just a reminder, a Passball Show could be heard on... Uh, Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, and of course videos on YouTube. We'll be back with you towards the end of next week with another edition of the Passball Show. God bless you, and as always, we'll see you on the other side. I have many leather-bound books. My apartment smells of rich mahogany. Why don't you give it all or a majority of it to the team that wins the freaking World Series? I was going to listen to that, but then I just carried on it in my life. Now they come out as the biggest Major League Baseball manager apologist. It'll only make someone work just hard enough not to get fired. Because hitters are going out there saying, I'm either going to hit a home run or I'm going to strike out. And if I don't get a pitch that I feel like I could drive out of the park. I'm not even supposed to be here today. Especially prospect whores and hoarders are going to be a little pissed off at me when I say this. I'm a there are only two managers in baseball's Hall of Fame who have losing records. One of them is the iconic Connie Mack, who you could say, in spite of winning five World Series championships as a manager, could be in as much as a pioneer. And what side of the spectrum they're on? Were they pitching? Were they batting? If your favorite team was pitching and a ball got inside and hit a batter, there's no way it could have been on purpose. But if you were a fan of the team that was batting and a ball got inside and hit somebody or went behind somebody's head, absolutely 100%, unequivocally, that pitcher was throwing at They put their tail between their legs and decided they're going to do exactly what they're told. You damn well right, better give him a contract extension. You damn well right, better make him the manager over the next series of years. 35 years ago, I could have loaned your parents the money for an abortion.